The following audio is brought to you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. More information about our church can be found at emmanueltuscaloosa.org. Now, the content of what we're going to be going over tonight is in your packet, too. So you'll have that in front of you, even if you don't have one. But they're, they're just hold on to these, because uh, if you'll notice, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about this every Sunday, probably every Wednesday from here for a while. Um, basically encouraging you to grab one. Really, the encouragement is, you know, to take one. Ladies, put one in your purse, or guys, put one in your back pocket, and just take it with you wherever you go, and really just pray for somebody to give it to. On the back, you'll notice uh, you, it's an invitation to church, essentially is what it is. You're, you are invited to Emmanuel Baptist Church by, and then you can just write your name there. So go ahead and write your name, and you can put as much information as you want there. If you want to write your phone number two, then you can certainly do that, or if you put the church's phone number or something, you can do that. Um, but underneath that is uh, just the worship time and then our, our church website. Eventually, that church website is going to be replaced by a link to, to what we're recording for the next few weeks. But what I'm going to be doing for the next few weeks is going through this, basically panel by panel. And so that if you gave this to somebody and they wanted to kind of listen to someone explain these, then they, could, they would go straight to the podcast link and they would basically be able to find an explanation of each little thing as we go through it on Wednesday night. That's the idea anyway, okay? So uh, very basically, it's an invitation to church, but provided you have time, you can very simply walk through a gospel presentation that's really quite easy. And I think it, it, as you look at this uh, tract, it's, I'm sure you've probably seen a million tracts in the past, and there are a lot of good ones out there, okay? There's not, not disparaging anyone. I particularly like this one. I think it's got a lot of strengths. I, there are some weaknesses, which I'll point out. But, um, but I, I think it's really handy in that if you look at even just the, whatever, the one that's got the one at the top over here, uh, if you'll see that on that page next to it, it's got a little summary box down here. So if you've just read this tract like one time, you can go, your eyes can go straight to that little summary box and it can remind you what's on that page, which is really handy when you're just talking to somebody and you're trying to remember and you're nervous and all the spit has gone from your mouth. <laughs> it's, you know, and your stomach is down in your feet. You know, it's really, uh, you know, uh, helpful to just have those little cues on the back if you're able to even go that far as to kind of going through the sharing of the gospel. So uh, what I want to go through for the next six weeks or so is really walking through this and, and helping us to think about how we're really supposed to share our faith and what is it that we're doing. And let's kind of just sort of level set expectations of what we're, we're, we're attempting to accomplish. And I think sometimes we probably make it maybe a lot more complicated than it really is in that what you're expecting to do is you're, you're expecting to kind of have a come-to-Jesus meeting with somebody, and you're going to, you know, you just met them in the grocery store, and you're going to kind of give them the, the five points of the gospel or whatever, and then, and then you're going to turn it over to them, and they're going to weep and fall down to their knees and grab your feet and go, thank you for telling me this message and things like that. And when that doesn't happen, you're like, oh, no, I failed. And you go back in your car, and you're like, what did I do wrong? Man, what did I wouldn't say next time, you know, right? And in reality, I think what we're trying to accomplish in telling the good news to somebody is 
perhaps a little bit differently. It can go that far. I mean, I have seen and, and been a part of the sharing of, gospel, of the gospel with somebody who said to me, what took you so long to tell me this gospel message? And that wasn't just because I was spending a long time preaching it, all right? This was, this was a short gospel presentation, and they were 81 years old, and they were like, what took you so long? It was in China. And, you know, so, so it does, there are times where that happens, but that's not all the time. You know, uh, far more frequently, somebody goes, oh, you know, thank you for saying that, and, you know, whatever, and then they kind of go on and don't re- maybe not give much thought to it. But what, it, what is it that, what is our job in sharing the gospel with somebody? And so I think, you know, just very basically, yes. There, there, there is a stack right here. Yes. Will you hand those to him? If we're going to be, we, we have more, I've, I'll order a billion more if I have to, but, um, but um, yeah, so um, just if you can put the remainder of what's left, you know, out there, and then as you give them out, then come back. We're going to keep a steady supply out there, so don't take all of them at once, you know, like take as many as you will actually give out maybe this week until you can come back next week. That way we can kind of keep track of how many are out there and just kind of, you know, think through our supply. Um, but I th- our role, like if we're just level-setting expectations as a Christian, our role in sharing the gospel with the world is as a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead and subsequent salvation that is available to all who believe. So if you think about what, what, am, I, what am I doing when I'm going up to somebody? You have to remember that the word gospel means good news. You are a herald, someone who is proclaiming the good news. The good news is news, meaning it's not up for debate. This is news, right? And I'm simply here to deliver that message. You're a paper boy, and you're saying, right, here, Hear ye, hear ye, right? Here it is. This is, the, this is what's happened, okay? And I want to tell you about what has happened in case you didn't know already. So, very basically, that's what we're doing. And, and so I, I want to kind of show you how it, at least early church thought about this as we see it unfold in the Scriptures, Acts 4. You have these verses in your packet here. You can look how they're approaching this sharing of the good news. Um, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. Why? Because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So the, the apostles are teaching. Obviously, they're telling people what that means, too, which is essentially what you're doing in the sharing of the gospel. You're telling people what that means then. Jesus rose from the dead. Let me tell you why that's, that's really important. But then, essentially, they're proclaiming that in Jesus, there is resurrection from the dead. Hey, that's great, because you've got a whole bunch of people in this world who have gone to funerals and have seen a casket lowered into the ground and have been there as the preacher preaches. and has the, they've, done, they've done the whole thing. They know how this life ends. And the apostles are there telling them, guess what? 
It doesn't end that way. I've got good news. Somebody rose from the dead. So now we know there's a way out of the casket, right? Plain and simple, that's what you're heralding. That's what you're, that's what you're proclaiming. That's the good news. Um, Acts 8, 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. He's, that's essentially what he's doing. He's telling them what happened. Uh, 9.20, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the Son of God. Uh, so again, they're, they're coming into the, the town and they're, they're just simply heralds of what has happened. They're telling them about historical events. Acts 17, uh, 22 to 31, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Look at the just, okay, now if we're just being really honest, Paul is getting really fancy, okay? Like he's, he's, he's got some observations that he's made, he's tying it in, he's given some applications, but if you look at just the heart of what he's drilling down to, there's something you do not know, and I'm telling you it. There is news that you have not heard, and I'm here to tell you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of, all, of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. In him we live and move and have our being, as even one of your own poets has said. For we are indeed his offspring. But being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So if you look at the, just the, there's a lot of stuff in there, but if you boil it down to its most basic components, there is you, there's something you don't know I want to tell you this news, and he gets very quickly to, we're all under judgment, and Jesus Christ is the only way to, to salvation, right? I mean, those are the nuts and bolts of what he's, he's telling them very briefly. So you, your news presentation, it can be as short as the time allows or as long as the time allows, depending, right? Paul can go on for a long time talking about the gospel, and so can you. Or it can be 15 seconds, I need to tell you something real quick, right? Because essentially, this is what you're delivering to them, is, is very basically news. Um, so, the re here's the reason why that's helpful. Um, sometimes we can be self-conscious about what we know and what we don't know. And you can think to yourself, well, what if they ask me a question about whatever? And I don't know the answer to that question. What do I, what do? I do? Well, you, if you remember, I am a proclaimer of news. I don't have to know everything there is to know. I don't know everything there is to know. I've been asked 
questions in sharing the gospel that I'm like, I've never thought about that before, not one day in my life, ever. I'm thinking about it for the first time right now. So there are all kinds of questions that you get asked in return, but I am simply heralding to you something that happened. Here it is. It's true. So that means then that my primary role, I'm not saying there's not a place for this, I'm saying my primary role in evangelism is not to convince someone, it's not to persuade someone, it's not to debate, it's not to cajole, to manipulate, to threaten, or otherwise coerce someone into verbal acknowledgement of Jesus' resurrection or authority, right? I am telling them news that this happened. It is not that the reality of it happening is not contingent upon their acceptance, right? That doesn't change the historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead and that the casket is not the end of all things. Them slamming the door in my face, calling me ugly names, doing whatever they want, is, that does not mean anything about Jesus' resurrection. It still happened. And it still is objective reality, whether you acknowledge it or not. Right? So, my primary role in sharing the gospel is not debate. is not argument. And when they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to, that means that I can go, I don't know. But here's what I do know. This happened. And the casket's not the end, right? Uh, now, that being said, we should desire to present a well-reasoned, winsome argument for the good news that we're sharing. But debates should be approached carefully with wisdom attempting to evaluate the fruitfulness of the conversation. So what am I engaged in here? Is this, you know, discussion back and forth really helping this person understand what I'm saying? And they're, they're, this is actually a, a helpful exercise, a fruitful exercise? Or is this a mudslinging contest? I've got to figure that out, right? I'm not interested in mudslinging, all right? But a fruitful discussion, even if it is passionate, a fruitful discussion is still helpful, right? And, and I should want to do that, and I'm happy to do that. Happy to entertain any questions. I'm happy to find out the answer to questions that I don't know the answer to, right? And happy to own up to the fact that I don't know them. But I have to determine that. So let me walk through this in the Scriptures where I kind of come to these conclusions. Um, first is 2 Corinthians 4, 1-4. And this goes back to, you know, our primary role being an evangelist um, and a, a herald of the good news. Paul says this, Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So, just to kind of grasp what he's saying here, the presentation of the gospel, I'm not trying to get you to, I'm not trying to say the right words in such a way to get you to make an acknowledgement, like to put you at mercy based on the debate that I'm doing, or to practice some sort of trick that, you know, manipulates you into confessing Jesus as if I've, I've won something there. My goal is not to, to win a debate. He says, 
And even if, this is where it gets hard to swallow, but look at verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, it tells you our primary role is, I'm a herald of the good news, and I'm going to tell you what the good news is. And I'm not going to twist it, I'm not going to manipulate it, I'm not going to try to put you at mercy or win some sort of debate. I'm just telling you what happened. Um, Now, back to the well-reasoned part. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So, that, the way that verse has been used in some capacity, in some cases, has been uh, thoughts that you think, taking them captive, and, you know, don't let your mind wander into sin or something like that. And it's not really not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about engaging other people who have these other, uh, you know, ideas about God, and actually saying, correcting them, and saying, this is not, that's not true. So, so, Paul's not saying, because, because in the first part he says, you know, look, hey, if our gospel's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. We just share the good news and walk off and that's it. No. We, wanna, we do want to present a winsome argument. We do want to present a convincing presentation that this is... But, but the, the trick is we have to know what person we're talking to. Be able to evaluate what person we're talking to. And you see this in Proverbs 26, uh, 4 and then 5. Look at verse 4. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. In other words, don't sling the mud with somebody. But then look at the next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So which do I do? Do I answer a fool according to his folly, or do I not answer a fool according to his folly? And the answer is, yes. It's a, it, you've, there's got to be wisdom applied to the conversation where you are evaluating what am I engaged in here. Is this asking for information, or is this just a going-nowhere-merry-go-round, right? A mud-slinging contest, which I'm not in, interested in engaging in. Um, okay, so if we think about our role in evangelism, we're heralds of the good news. We're, very simply, we're telling people what has happened. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and he's offering you eternal life. Period. Is that something you want to hear about? <laughs> okay, so that, that's essentially what we're doing. We're proclaiming that. Now, um, this tract in particular, uh, let me, uh, it's, it's wanting to skip on me, so just give me a. We chose this tract in particular because I think it does a really good job of beginning with God not only as creator, which is where most tracts begin but also as king. Um, there's a reason I think that's really important is because it, it essentially is presenting the hearer with a very clear choice. Which king are you going to serve? God as king? Or are you going to serve you as king? Those are your, your two ways to live. Under submission to God as king or under submission to you as king? And I think it does a re- just a really good job of presenting that to people. And, and 
in part why I wanted to use it here is because I do, from the pulpit, spend a good deal of time talking about that in relationship to the gospel. I think that is sort of the, um, maybe it may be too strong to say the key that sort of unlocks a lot of Bible interpretation is understanding what is being presented to you there, that Jesus is king over the world and, and you are to submit to him as his creature and worship him and things like that. And so I spend a lot of time teaching you that. So as pe- members of Emmanuel, you go out there and you hand somebody a, a tract with our website on it. When they go, if they go looking at sermons here, that a lot of what they're going to hear is what's reinforced in that tract. Does that make sense? Um, so I think that's a really strong point of it. Lacking in this tract, just to be completely open and honest, and if I was, I'm, I'm going to send a little note of feedback to the company that produces it, uh, that you might want to consider this for your next edition. Lacking in this tract is an invitation to join a church. Uh, if, you, if you'll notice at the very back, it says, okay, well, so what do I do now? Well, okay, you, you should, you know, submit to Christ, you should confess your sins to Him, you should live in honor of Christ. It's kind of how it, how it wraps up. But it doesn't say, repent and be baptized, join a church, follow up in discipleship, right? Uh, so, just to be very blunt with you, that's where you come in. That's what that little sticker on the back there is for. As you write your name there, you say, this is an invitation to come with me to church. Okay? Join, join with me in church. And sometimes that idea of like sharing the gospel as, as telling somebody to come to church or inviting them to church with you has sort of been, um, uh, the only word that's coming to mind is poo-pooed. You know, like, no, don't do that. Share the gospel with them. Tell them, you know, invite them to church. Like, if, if, that's, if that's all you can get out of your mouth, at that, the spit's gone, you are feeling like you're going to hurl in your own shoes, and you're just like, I don't know what to do here, and I'm shaking and everything. Everything, every thought you ever had about the gospel is just gone. If you can say, come with me to church, that's better than nothing, right? Don't, don't not do that. You know, and certainly invite them to church. And even after you present the gospel with them, there should be an invitation. Come with me on Sunday. Come with me on Wednesday. Whatever. Uh, and so that's what that sticker on the back is for. So let's not forget Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And verse 20 says, And teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you which is the part of making disciples. When Peter is asked this question, he preaches his sermon in Acts 2, 38, and the people respond, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart and they said, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's telling them what to do. He's followed through with this in discipleship of being baptized in this, the church that Christ has created. And so that's what you're telling them to do, right? And that's what we want to invite them to do. Okay, with that in mind, let's go to this just first panel. And you can follow along, or they're printed here in your handout. And so you can uh, read it as we come to it. Um, but there are essentially this, just this first page. I don't have any more. Bob took all my tracks. But uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Keep it. Um, this first little page, it's got the one at the top. And uh, it says, God the good ruler and creator. And on the right, it has kind of the panel of information. There's a verse down at the bottom we'll read here in just a little bit. But uh, there's essentially the text that is, that is the first kind of presentation to them, uh, to anybody that you might read this to or, or go through with. 
there's basically three aspects that, uh, that you, you're going to move through and that I think are worth consideration. The first uh, fundamental truth to the good news is that this message is about the one true and living God who is the ruler of all things. The one true and living God who is the ruler of all things. Um, so, you know, I think we can, you can essentially, if you, and you'll see this in that little box that's mentioned at the bottom, but you can essentially boil this down really quickly, but these are, these are very important details that, uh, that will help as you move through this track. There, this message is about the one true and living God who is the ruler of all things. Look at Deuteronomy 4.35. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides Him. Isaiah 46.9 Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like Me. Isaiah 43.10 You are My witnesses, declares the Lord, and My servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe Me and understand that I am He. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. What is this claim that you're making when you present the gospel? It's exclusive, right? The one and only true. You've heard of other gods, and I'm not competing with them because I don't think they exist. I'm telling you about the only God that does exist. Now, this is something that you kind of have to work through in your mind and maybe chew on a little bit. But inevitably the question comes, well, how do you know that God is the one God that does exist? And the answer is because there was a man that lived 2,000 years ago who rose from the dead. That's how I know this is the God he proclaimed. Do you know anyone that's risen from the dead? How many people do you know that have risen from the dead? Go ahead and name them. I know one person. It's risen. Say again. Why is that? Yeah. And, and here is, so Richard says that, that throws, so you're presenting the gospel to a Mormon. And, you know, their, their, uh, their worldview, their religious view says that the God that we worship is uh, one of many who lived and in, grew up and became God and inherited their own planet and that kind of thing. And what you're saying is, what God is saying in Isaiah, there is no God besides me. There wasn't any before me, and there will be none after me. So, so it's important that we say, the God that I'm telling you about is the ruler of everything, and there are no others. So no matter what you've heard about all these other gods and other things, I'm saying there are none. My presentation to you as a herald of the good news, I'm simply telling you what's true. I'm not, I'm not, this is not really up for debate. I'm just telling you that there is one God and there, there are no others. And this is who I'm telling you about. Okay. Um, and the rest of those passages go on if you, if you want to read more of those as help. Maybe you can put some of those in your, in your memory bank and they'll come back to you. They typically do in those times when you need them. Um, now, what distinguishes, and this is really important, what distinguishes this ruler that I'm telling you about from others 
that we experience in our world or, you know, just as kings or presidents or whatever, or from other gods that you've read about, maybe in history or in other religious books or things like that, is not only that He is exclusive and that there are no, none others like Him, but that He is perfectly holy. He, that means He's not corrupt. He never will be corrupt. He's not capricious, meaning that He's not subject to fits of rage, uh, just you know, without thinking or whatever, flying off the handle. And He's done everything for the good of His people. In other words, He is 100% totally pure. He is good. He's a ruler, but He's also good, unlike any other ruler that you've ever experienced. So, Psalm 145, verse 9. To the King of the ages... Oh, sorry, I totally messed it up. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Or Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Psalm 84, 11. For the Lord is God. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Psalm 107, 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. James 1, 17, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So The Bible is reiterating to you over and over again the difference between God as ruler and somebody else that you know of as ruler is that He is good. That He's holy and he, he, He's loving and he, he actually cares. So the tract says it this way, The foundation of the Christian message is that God is the one true and living ruler of all things. He is the Lord and King of everything that exists. Unlike human rulers, God is not corrupt or self-serving. He is a thoroughly good and loving ruler who continues to provide for His world generously and to rule it with justice. Okay, so that's the first part, is that the God that I'm telling you about is exclusively God, and He is a good, loving, pure ruler of all of creation. But the second part of this first little page says that uh, the world that God created was perfect. And essentially what we're saying is that if we look at the universe around us, it seems obvious that the world we live in was finely tuned for us to live here. Whether you look at the air that we breathe, the water we drink, the sun, moon, and stars, and galaxies, what we can say about this creation is that it's not only beautiful, but it testifies to God's goodness to us. Look at how many things around you serve you. And this is, look, this is where if you are an you know, apologetics geek, and you just love William Lane Craig and, you know, all the, you know, apologists out there. Uh, John Knox is another good one. Uh, Bob, you could probably give me five more, I'm sure. Who is it? John, John Lennox. I said John Knox. I meant John Lennox. Um, 
you know, so many apologists out there from mathematicians to scientists and things like that, this is where you, if you indulge in that kind of, you just read nothing but that, where you can just go all out, right? The earth is so many miles from the sun, if it was an inch closer, if it was an inch further away, we'd all die. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of stuff, you know? When you look around in the world, you can see that it's finely tuned for life. And if you look around at the rest of the world, it's searching in the most remote of galaxies that we possibly can reach to try to find some semblance of life somewhere else. Why do you think that is? Yeah. I desperately want to find life somewhere else because then I can prove that life here is an accident. It just happened. It just happened. Because, look, it just happened out there. And it just happened out there. Right? So, it, it, it's a desperate attempt to try to say, look, this isn't fi a finely tuned universe. This is a cosmic accident. But what you're saying to people is, we can, we're, and we're going to get to the part next week where things have gone haywire. Okay? That we can also acknowledge that things have gone crazy. But if we just take a step back, we can say, yet, here I am, as crazy as things are, and as, as maybe terrible as you might say things have become, you can sense about the world that it wasn't created to be like that. Look at me, I'm standing here, I'm breathing in oxygen. And my lungs exchange this oxygen, and I, I blow it back out. And these trees that are all around me begin to kind of feed that to me, right? They're, they're really helpful for feeding oxygen to the rest of us. It's... it's you can see that there is a fine-tuned nature to nature. And it's built for life. So this is where you can kind of go all out and you can say, look, it seems obvious that what God originally created was perfect and was for you. And the fact that you can stand here and your heart beats in your chest and sends blood across your body, you can study a human cell and be blown away. The human eyeball and just can knock your socks off with how intricately it was designed and how it can't work any other way. So all of those things are helpful and all of them testify not only to the fine-tuned nature of the universe and that we were created, but it testifies to the kind of creator that's behind it. Doesn't it? It tells us that he gave us sight. He didn't have to make food taste good. And he did. He could have just made it so that you would just get hunger pains and you would feel nauseous and you would just, you know, hate life and be mad at everybody if you didn't eat, which you are. But then when you put the food in your mouth, what does it taste like? It tastes good. It has salt and sugar and all kinds of other things that are wonderful. And if you haven't eaten dinner yet, I'm sorry. <laughs> right? So the second part of this says that God is the ruler of everything because He created everything. God is the source and maker of all that exists, including the good and beautiful world that we live in. This is His world. He made it, and therefore, He's in charge of it. Okay, so now we've established two, two key points. He's a ruler in that He is king, and everything is subject to Him. He is also good, and He has created a beautiful world for you to live in. So, but as its maker, 
God is also the ruler of His creation. This is where people get a little nervous, all right? I don't like other people ruling over me. I like, you know, my autonomy. But this means, because He is ruler, that He has complete and total authority over it. Just as He spoke this world into existence, so He also has ongoing command over its present and future. I listened to a debate today from a known atheist, Richard Dawkins, you've probably heard him, who was talking about the Old Testament and the wars that went on there and the you know, conquest of the Holy Lands and all this kind of stuff. And he was talking about William Lane Craig. William Lane Craig is a, is a debater. Uh, he's a professor at the University of Houston, or Houston Baptist University, I think it is, and he is a, a, an apologist, and he, is a deba- he goes on debate circuits, and he debates atheists and things like this, and has done so for 20, 40 years or something. Um, and he was talking about how he can't stand William Lane Craig. <laughs> and he says, you know, when it comes to things like the conquest of the Holy Land, rather than just deny that it ever happened, like a, like a good theologian would do, he defends the historicity of the Bible and has the nerve to say that God would have done that. But the premise that people like Dawkins and atheists and things like that totally miss about the world itself is that you're a creature. And this makes people, honestly, very nervous when you tell them you are a creature and you were made for a creator. You were not made just to go out on your own and say la vie and see how, see how you make it. You were made for the Creator. That is hard on the surface for people to accept. Which is why it's important that we start from the beginning say, not only did He make everything and He is King and Ruler, but He's also good. And He's loving. And there, if you were created for this purpose, then there is no better joy out there than to live to the purpose that you were created for. Right? That's it. Okay, so he is the ruler and he has command over this world, its past, its present, its future. He can do whatever he wants with it. But what you're really asking, atheist or whomever, is can you trust him? I'm a herald and I'm telling you this is true. The question that you're going to deal with and you're going to come back to me with about this God that I'm telling you about is can I trust him? That's what we're really dealing with. But, okay, fine. I Say I accept that there is a universe out here that's finely tuned and all of these things that you've told me. Can I trust this one that you're telling me about? Is, is the real question. So finally, the last little part every, is, is basically the message that every person in this world is to be first and foremost a worshiper of the one true and living God. This is because God is our Creator We were created for His glory. Unless we come to know and worship Him, we can never fulfill the purpose for which we were created. So, this is... You understand that this right here actually touches a nerve for what people are actually seeking. I'm not saying everybody you come in contact with. 
I don't know if really, I don't know if I've met a person out there, even the most avowed atheist, that isn't ultimately looking for meaning, for purpose. Who, tell me, wants to live their life as though it's meaningless? Who? Nobody. Nobody does. And even if they tell you, philosophically, the world has no, there's no, there's no meaning to life. They don't live that way. They get married. They have kids. They get a job. They plan vacations six months out. They live as though life has meaning. And sometimes they'll even tell you, well, you want to live a legacy. That's what, that's what the meaning of life is. You want to live a legacy. Think about that for just a second. How many people have really left a legacy? I mean, really left a legacy. Like, generations upon generations upon generations of people remember them. And not just people in their family, but people outside their family. You have an Ancestry.com membership because you can't remember who your great-great-great-great-grandfather is. In your own family, you've forgotten. Leave a legacy. Brother, you're going to be forgotten in like 10 years after they lower you down in that grave. If that, by, by, and by one or two people, right? And then after that, you're a distant, distant, distant memory. And, and if you're really one of the 10 people who are still known, let me just tell you, that ain't you, all right? You know how I know? Because you're talking to me. Right? In the grocery store Publix, you ain't going nowhere. All right? <laughs> like, let me just tell you, you're not Plato or Socrates. Okay? Uh, mediocrities. That's what most of us are. <laughs> it's not original. Uh, <laughs> Revelation 4.11 Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Right there. It's praise to God. Why? He's worthy to receive glory and honor and power because He created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. That's it. He's the reason you're here. The reason that you're breathing in and that your lungs exchange oxygen and you can breathe out and that your heart beats blood to the rest of your body and that you can move and function and think and the reason that we can even talk is because God Himself holds you together. And if it were His will for you to just disassemble right in front of me, He could do it. For that reason alone, he is worthy of worship. But what this tells us is that that's the reason that you were created. You were created for this purpose to worship Him. So this good news that I'm... Oh, let me read this little passage. Uh, out of the track. He also made us. God created humanity and gave us a unique place in this world. He commissioned us to rule over the world, to care for it, to be responsible for it, 
all the while honoring and obeying Him as our ruler and thanking Him for His generosity. So what you're doing that is separating the message of the gospel from all of these other religions is you're telling the person very basically, not only is there one God, not all these others, but by understanding who this God is, you will also uncover the purpose for your life. Your life is to be lived in honor of Him. And they might push back against that and say, I don't want to live that way. I'm a carrier of news. You cannot live this way and live for nothing and live a meaningless life and never uncover true and lasting joy and not have eternal life. Or you can acknowledge the purpose for which you, cre- you were created, turn to Him in worship and love, and find there true joy that is lasting. That's what I'm telling you. The choice is really yours. Okay? I am just a bearer of news. But here's the thing. It's good news. Because at the end of this is not just slavish obedience where you're miserable for the rest of your life because you're made to serve this Creator whom you hate. No. What you're turning to is actually giving to you joy. I'm saying this works out for your good. I'm not trying to get you to do something that you don't want to do and just drag you along. So I'm not trying to win debates or arguments. I'm saying this is actually in the end for your good. And this is where lasting joy actually is. This is where joy and meaning can be had in receiving this gospel. It's your purpose in the world. We're worshipers of the one true and living God who is revealed to us on the pages of the Holy Bible. Therefore, joy and meaning can only be had in receiving this gospel. So, if the hearer cannot come to grips with God's role as ruler and creator, and then our role as subject and creature, and worshiper, you might say, then God being in charge and having the right to command us will never make sense to Him. You, you get that? So it's fundamental that we establish first and foremost in the gospel, God is ruler. He's king. You are the creature that He made, and He made you for Himself. I made you for my glory. In fact, he says that in Isaiah 43, 7, just to go back to a verse that I I didn't read. Isaiah 43, 7, he says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Isaiah 43, 21, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. For from Him, Romans eleven thirty six. for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Um, so it's important that we, we, we establish from the very beginning of the gospel, God is ruler and king. You are a creature, subject, and worshiper. 
And so this is where meaning and joy actually can be had. He's good. He's loving. And this is where the meaning of life is actually found. Additionally, when it comes to the topic of our rebellion against God, so if, if we don't, if they're not, if we're not getting that point, if we're not, it full stop, like this is the, there's a reason it's panel number one, is because if we're not, if we don't accept this, then, then we can't go anywhere else until we get this firmly established. Um, because when it comes then to the topic of our rebellion, which we'll talk about next week, against God, when we talk about an eternity in hell, judgment, punishment for not returning worship and thanks and glory to the Creator who made you for that purpose, then when we talk about an eternity in hell as punishment for sin, that can never make sense unless God is established firmly as a ruler who is sovereign and holy. Right? Well, why would... That's the Dawkins problem with the invasion of the Canaanites. And, and God, he says, well, that's preposterous to say, well, God said that's what should happen. Well, who is he? He's the creator of everything. He's holy and sovereign and has the right to do whatever he wants. So unless you understand that, well, we can't go to the next step because that'll never make sense to you. This is first for a reason. Let's establish who God is. So, really, that's what we're trying to do. As a herald of the good news, we're just telling them the facts. Like Walter Cronkite used to say, and that's the way it was. Is that what he says? That's the way it is, or that's the way it was? And that's the way it was. Just the facts. Just the facts. I don't know who Jack Webb is. Is he the guy that did the telescope? Who is that? <laughs> Oh, Dragnet, that's right. I wouldn't have known, but, the, but Dragnet. I watched Dragnet. I had Nick at night when I was growing up. <laughs> I've seen every episode of Andy Griffith, I'll have you know. Uh, qu questions? Not the RFD stuff. Once it got to color and Don Knotts went away, it's not any good. Don't give me Warren. Anyway, sorry, that's another, that's another thing, that's Andy Griffith trivia, all right? We'll do an Andy Griffith trivia night one night. Uh, questions? Comments? Thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> Just Yeah. So, you know, when it, what's helpful, you know, this is going to be posted uh, probably tonight, I would assume, and it'll be up. And so you can even tell people, like, they'll find this graphic on the website, should be on the homepage. Um, subsequently, we'll be putting the address here. Uh, we'll have links, you know, to, to this series going through as we establish it, and it'll be there. So if you don't have that kind of time, you're in line at the grocery store, there's a line a mile long behind you, and it's whatever, and you, this is where James is really good. You see him sharing the gospel at Publix all the time. Uh, but you're in line, and you, and you only have time to say, this is your invitation to church. You should come with me to church one day. On this side of the, is basically the, the gospel message. You, that's all you got time for? That's still good. That's still, that's still, you know, that's still a net positive, okay? 
that you've at least put something in their hands uh, that will explain the gospel to them. Not saying that that is the only thing that we can do, but if that's all we got time for, then then do that, right? Um, qu- any other questions? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word, and we're grateful that we can share it. This is news that is uh, leading to the, the joy of peoples. And so we pray that you would open up encounters for us, that as we meet people and talk to people and see them, uh, we pray that you would bring people into our path. As, even as we, this is new to us, and as we just get started with some of this, uh, we pray that you would, you know, maybe put softballs in the way. <laughs> just, just people that will, will just maybe come up and talk to us or start conversations or maybe jog our memory about something or, or maybe it's a neighbor or a friend or somebody, stranger that we meet in the grocery store or something, that you would just move people in our path that might help us to think this way. And I pray that you would give us the boldness to just share the kindness, the love, uh, the compassion, to share with people the news of Christ's resurrection from the dead, that they too can have eternal life. So we we pray that you would do that, um, not only for the people in this room, but for the life of our church. We want to be a gospel-sharing church. We want to be a people who routinely are in conversations with unbelievers, uh, who frequent businesses of unbelievers who have friendships with unbelievers for the purpose of giving them uh, news that is the best news that anyone could ever hope for, um, eternal life. We pray that you would put that on our mind and heart and grow us in that over the years to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you live in the Tuscaloosa area and are looking for a church, we'd love for you to visit. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday nights at 6.15.